reading 1 Peter chapter 5, guess what that means? We're almost done with 1 Peter. It's the last chapter of 1 Peter. I see nobody's been reading ahead. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, we're coming to the end of chapter 5. And as we've been going through 1 Peter, one of the things that has been a constant theme throughout 1 Peter is that we are now... And and as Peter was, and remember, Peter's situation was worse than our situation. Okay, Peter's situation was Christianity was at the fringes, at the margins, out the outside. They were the exiles. They were the outsiders. They were the ones who were being imprisoned. They were the ones being fed to lions. They were the ones being lit on fire for sharing their faith. We're just on the outside of so of society at this point. We're seen as the the weirdos. So we haven't gotten to that point. There are places in the world, many places in the world, where those things are true. And yet Peter has a lot to tell us about how we live as exiles, as outsiders, as sojourners, or people who realize that our home is in heaven, our home isn't here. How does that cause us to live when we understand the inheritance that we have in Christ, the fact that he has established a place for us and a home for us, and he's brought us in as his people, that we have become a holy nation, that we have become a kingdom of priests, that we have become a, a new people, for his possession, that we actually belong to him now. And he gives us a purpose, and that is to proclaim the excellencies of the ones who, one who's brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. They were to proclaim just how excellent God is, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. So I have a question for you, because we're coming to a passage of Scripture that could sound very self-serving, because it starts talking about pastors and elders. Okay, And I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to tell you to honor me. No. I mean, it does say that in Scripture. And that can sound really self-serving, right? Pray for me. Honor me. Like, and that can sound really self-serving. I just have a question for you. Simple question. If God has ordained and He has purchased us by the blood of Jesus for a purpose, and that purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, to proclaim His excellencies to the whole world, is God's plan or your plan better? Okay. And where do we learn God's plan? Right here. Okay? So I just want to make sure we understand that. Brad's not up here saying, come on, guys, what's wrong with you? What I'm trying to tell you is God has a plan and a purpose, and that plan is for His glory and for our good. So when we submit ourselves to God's plan and the way God has designed things to be in our lives, in our families, in the church, we're going to reap the benefits of that. Okay? So we want to see the world reach for Christ. Amen? Okay, that was pitiful. We want to see the world reached for Christ. Amen? Amen. Okay, maybe we try this. I want my family to be reached for Christ. Okay? I want my friends to be reached for Christ. I want my church to actually be a place that does that, a people that does that work. Amen? Amen. Okay, God's plan. We're going to have to submit ourselves to God's plan for that to happen. It's not going to work for us to come up with our own plans. So I'm just asking you today to submit yourselves to God's word today. And there's a word in here for you and for me. There's a word in here, and most of it is about how Pastor Roger and myself, how we are to be and how we are supposed to live. And there's a word for you as well in here about how you are to be as members of the body of Christ. And it's all for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. 
See, the problem is that the, the suffering we experience as believers in this world when we're on the margins and when we're outcasts and when people shun Christ in the public sector, that suffering sometimes leads us to want to self-preserve, right? We want to kind of preserve our status. We want to preserve our life. We want to preserve our job. We want to preserve ourselves. But it also leads us sometimes to self-exaltation, that if we're being pushed down, it's my turn to push back, right? And I have to push back and I have to get higher when we're being pushed lower. I have that tendency. I have that temptation. I'm sure at times you have that temptation as well where your your reaction is not, let me trust God. Your reaction is, let me fight back. And that's to preserve yourself and to exalt yourself. But the Word of God has something else to do and something else to say to us as the people of God that when we are being pressed in on all sides, it's actually the work of God to purify us, to make us more like Christ. In chapter 4, Peter has already said that the judgment of God is going out into all the world and it's starting with the church. What that means is God's, God's will and God's work is to purify us, to make us more like Christ, to humble us so that we trust Him and so that His power is shown to be great. So here in verses 1 through 7, there's a word for me, for Pastor Roger, and for all of us. I want you to follow along if you would. Verse 1, it says this. I exhort, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And there are two offices within the church giving, given in Scripture. There's elders, which will be called overseers, pastors. There's several words for it. That's one office. The other is deacon. Okay? And here he's specifically talking about elders, pastors, overseers. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That sounds pretty good, right, Roger? I'm good with that. You know, I'm good with that. All right. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The, the tendency when suffering comes, and especially when unjust suffering comes, is for us to self-preserve or self-exalt. We want to preserve our position and preserve our name, preserve our place, preserve our rights, preserve what we want and our opinions and our preferences, or to exalt ourselves and make sure everybody knows how good we are and I don't deserve this. That's the tendency, that's the temptation, but the Word of God has something else for us, another call for us, and that call is that when the mighty hand of God is at work purifying his church and making us more like Jesus, it's that we would, in humility and faith, live out our lives. So our lives would not be marked by self-preservation, not by mar- be marked by anxiety, not be marked by self-exaltation, but instead, humility and faith would take over. See, for pastors, the temptation to self-preserve looks like this, according to the pa- passage. It's compulsion. It says, not to serve under compulsion, but willingly. It's this. I need a job, folks. Right? i got to provide for my family. And if the only reason I were to serve as a pastor is to feel the compulsion that i got to put food on the table, and that's the only reason I'm serving as a pastor, I would be disqualified. 
Does that make sense? If I feel under compulsion because my dad was a pastor, so I have to be a pastor, not the reason to serve. But there's a self-preservation there that comes in. Is that there are struggles in this life, and this is a way that I can serve. It's the same thing that I hear pastors say sometimes where they go, well, I don't know what else I would do if I weren't pastoring. Because I'm not qualified to do anything else. Second Corinthians tells me I'm not qualified to be a pastor. It's only Christ who's sufficient. And I take that very seriously. I'm not sufficient for this task. And if I'm doing it under compulsion, then I shouldn't be doing it. Let me, let me, let me make sure you understand that. This Tuesday, I either made the grave mistake or the great, uh, great move on my part um, of posting on Facebook that I was having a day of prayer uh, to make some big decisions for the life of my family and the church. John Hash threatened my life. He texted me that night and he's like, it's going to get physical if you're leaving. And I was like, I didn't say I was leaving. No one said I was leaving. Today I got asked, are you leaving? I didn't get asked. I wasn't saying I'm leaving. I pray sometimes, folks. I'm your pastor. Sometimes it's necessary that I get away from all of you to pray. Right? Sometimes that's necessary. Okay? So, yeah, I needed a day of prayer and study, but I was coming to a passage of Scripture like this, and it calls on me, it calls on Pastor Roger to really take, take a long, hard look. Why am I serving? After almost nine years, am I serving because I can't do anything else? Shameful gain is the other way we self, we're tempted to self-preserve. That we just, well, I've been here for nine years. I'm going to have to start all over somewhere else. Not only with the work, but financially. I don't want to do that. You see, when struggles come, the temptation is to self-preserve. For members, that looks like, according to the passage, anxiety. Verse 7, cast all your anxieties on Him. That when we... When we're tempted to self-preserve, we get anxious, right? So anxiety leads to action. It does. Anxiety always leads to action. It always leads to bad action. It never leads to good action. If you're acting out of anxiety, it's a tendency of I feel cornered and I'm going to probably lash out. That's self-preservation, right? That's what happens. You corner a cat, right, that's injured, they're going to go after you. Right, You corner an injured animal, what happens? When you feel pressured, you begin to lash out in anxiety or a lack of submission. We're called in this passage to submit, to be subject to the elders. And when we feel like we're pressured or our preferences are under attack, we tend to not want to submit. We tend to kind of bristle at that. The temptation to self-exalt for pastors is, according to this passage, to become domineering as opposed to demonstrating faithfulness and demonstrating holiness. That's what the passage says. It says, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. My prayer is, though I fail at this, my prayer is that you've seen an example for nearly nine years. And there's been a demonstration of what it is to follow Christ. And my prayer is with Pastor Roger that you see a demonstration 
of godliness and holiness and what it is to follow Christ. A demonstration that we want God's will for you as well as for the church. For members, the temptation to self-exalt looks like this. We forget our place in the body, that we're supposed to submit to one another, that our gifts are supposed to be used for one another. It says here in the passage that likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. When we want to self-exalt, when we've been pressured and we feel like we've got to let people know what we've done, it sounds like this. Well, I've been doing that for years. You have no idea all the things I've done for the church. I actually had a former member tell me, you have no idea how much money I've given to that church. There's no way you can start survive if I stop giving. My answer? My father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We don't need your money. Now, please do not go take your check back out of the offering plate. We have locked them away in the office. You cannot do that. Okay, please keep giving. Okay. But my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the one who by his grace gives gifts. And we give out of those. And we're to give to the benefit of the body, to the benefit of one another. And when we want to self-exalt, we actually want to point out all the good things we're doing. When we find that temptation in us, we should fight it with humility. Why is it so important for us to fight this fight against the temptation? Well, I think the passage tells us in verse 5. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, and this is the reason, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I, do, I, I read all of like, the Bible and church history and the history of the world. And it doesn't end up really well for people who end up on the wrong side of God. Like when you get on his bad side, it is not a good day for you. And he specifically tells us a way you can get on his bad side. Let me just tell you, avoid that. That's pastoral love to you. Avoid that. Pray that I will avoid that. Pray that Pastor Roger will avoid that. Instead, we'll pursue humility towards one another. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't tell people they're wrong. We have to tell people they're wrong. Otherwise, we're allowing the pride of people thinking that they can always be right no matter what and make up their own minds about what is right. We're allowing pride to exist. So we have to instruct, but we need to instruct by God's word. We need to instruct by God's way. Because we said at the beginning, whose plan is better? God's plan is better. And we have to submit to it. But there is a reason for us to be serious about this, but there's also a reason we can have faith. And it's all throughout this passage. I want you to see it today. The reason we can have faith to be humble and to go ahead and take what comes and to humble ourselves before the plan of God is, look at verse 7. He cares for you. Isn't it just, well, we just sang it, right? Jesus, he's, he's for you. He, he loves you and he's for you. This passage tells us that he cares for you when we're under his mighty hand he demonstrates his care verse one says there's a glory to be revealed that if we were to self-exalt today right if we were to exalt ourselves today then we would miss out on the 
exaltation that's coming, that there's a glory to be revealed. That's what we're longing for. The person of faith, the person of humility says, I'll take lower today to get higher later. Does that make sense? I'll take lower today to be exalted later. That's what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Whatever the humiliation and humbling that comes today, I'm longing for the exaltation that's coming. Verse 6 tells us that at the proper time, God will exalt you. The reason we can have faith and wait is because his timing is perfect. I ask you, if he took Jesus, who was humiliated on the cross, who humbled himself to death on the cross and gave him the name that is above every name, do you think he's going to be good at giving you what you need in exaltation in the future? He's given Jesus, the one who went to the tomb with the weight of the world's sin upon him. He gave him the name that's above every name, that at his name every knee would bow and every tongue confess. Do you think he's going to be good at giving you what you need? Can we trust him for that? Well, this passage tells us we can. Verse 4 goes so far to say that there is an unfading crown of glory. Let me tell you, any crown that you put on, any crown that I put on, on this earth will fade. Any attempt at self-exaltation, any attempt at exalting and lifting up myself will fade. And he has a crown of glory that won't fade. We can humble ourselves because to humble ourselves before one another and before the leaders that God puts in front of us and before God's servants is to humble ourselves before God's plan. And we said at the beginning, what? Whose plan is better? God's plan is better. And his plan is that there be leaders and there be those who follow. He's done that. We were, I was just talking to somebody today. The nearly two million or more people that would, would have had to walk across the wilderness as the people of Israel are going to the promised land. And he really appointed one guy to lead the way. Now, there were others that were leaders as well, and they were to follow their tribal leaders. They were to follow. Now, I don't expect you to follow me blindly through the desert. I don't expect you to follow Pastor Roger blindly through the desert. What I'm asking you to do is trust God's plan. Because whose is better? Yours or mine or God's? God's. I need you to pray for us. We need you to pray for us that we would seek God's plan. So we're asking you to submit to God's plan as well. Because when we're under the mighty hand of God, which is what verse 6 tells us, we're under his protection and under his provision. And there's only good things that come from that. So let me close with this. What does it look like for us to humble ourselves in faith? If it's good that we humble ourselves in faith, if we have a good reason to humble ourselves because he's going to exalt us and that's going to be better than anything we can do, right? If it's good for us to fight the temptation of self-preservation and self-exaltation, what does it look like? To humble ourselves in faith. And admittedly, a lot of what I have to say right here has to do with me and Pastor Roger. It's a challenge to us, an encouragement, an exhortation to us. When it says in verse 1, I exhort the elders among you. To encourage someone is to say, you're doing a good job. To exhort someone says, you could be better. Right? And so as we're being exhorted, exhorted by the word of God, this is what it tells us our role is. What does it look like to humble ourselves in faith? For elders and pastors, it's to make sure we're living as an example, not to pursue power. And that looks like this. 1 Timothy 3 tells us that the role of an elder is to oversee. So our job is to be about the good of the church as a whole. 
that our job is to see things in a way that individual members might not be able to see. Our job is to trust God and go to God to see things, the big picture of things and the direction of things and the vision of things that He doesn't equip everybody to see because He's the one who gives those gifts. The role of an elder is to oversee. The role of an elder is to care for souls. Hebrews 13:17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give have to give an account. I don't like that last part. But for us to humble ourselves before the plan of God means we have to watch over souls. Not just watch over physical needs, not just watch over opinions and preferences, but to care about the eternal realities in your life when you don't. When you're more concerned about your feelings being hurt, we have to concern ourselves with your heart because we have to oversee your souls. Pray for us as we do that. The role of an elder is to rule, 1 Timothy 5, which means to stand before, to lead, to actually go out in front. To not be a guy who sits on a throne and goes, so it has been said, so it shall be done. But instead to go out and do it and to lead, to show how to do it. And the role of an elder, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. If we are going to submit ourselves, if Pastor Roger and I are going to submit ourselves to the hand of God and to the plan of God, it's going to be pursuing those things, not power, but those things, overseeing, caring for souls, ruling, equipping, and doing so in a way that we will give an account before God. But there is a word for everyone else as well, and it's in verse 5. Submit. It's a word that's all over First Peter, isn't it? It says here in this translation, be subject with humility. To not bristle at the idea that God's plan is better than your plan. But to actually follow. What that looks like is you submit to godly leadership. As if you're submitting to God. In other passages, we're told that wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. That doesn't mean you go, yes, dear, yes, dear, yes, dear. What it means is, as your husband is submitting to the Lord, you submit to your husband. What it means is you don't. it's not that you don't have any recourse if they go off the rails. You have every recourse. You have a Father who is in heaven. I'm going to have to give an account. Roger's going to have to give an account. There's recourses given in Scripture as well when it comes to leadership. But there's a model and there's a, a plan that God has given. And I believe wholeheartedly that God's plan is better than ours. This would not be the way I would plan it. If you were to plan it, it wouldn't look like this. That's why we let God plan it. Why we let God design it is His church. So what does the future look like for OPBC and leadership? Because I had to do a lot of praying and thinking about this. And I have been. You can ask Pastor Roger for about the past 9 to 12 months of what it looks like. One thing I know is that part of my job and part of Pastor Rogers' job is to 
to remind you that suffering is coming, that our culture is changing, our country is changing, our world is changing. And if we are going to stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this culture, suffering is going to come. That is not a doomsday prophecy as promised in Scripture. That if we're going to stand for the gospel, suffering is going to come. And we have to prepare you for that. Now here's the good news. God's already prepared the church for that. He's given us Jesus as an example of how to suffer. He's given us saint after saint after saint throughout Scripture, story after story of how to suffer. He's given us all of church history, and He's given us a plan for His church. And so I believe as suffering is coming, and that's God's design, that we would be purified and that we would reach the world, even in the midst and even through that suffering, then the quality of our leaders is going to determine a lot about how we survive and thrive in a culture that's changing. Isn't that why you're a little worried about this election? Because the quality of our leaders is what's going to determine a lot about the future. The quality of our leaders is going to determine a lot about how we survive and thrive as a church. But God's future provision, just like His present day provision, is enough to give us a living hope. And we should not be hopeless in this and we should not fight God's plan. I believe that the future of OPBC and leadership is that God will provide the leaders in our church that are needed. God's plan has always been in the New Testament church that there be multiple elders in every church. It's always been his plan. You can read through James chapter 5. You can read in the Corinthian church. You can read through all of Paul's letters as he's writing to the elders at. The elders at. It is not God's good design that it just be two of us either. Not for a group this big. And I don't think that God's design is for us to hire somebody else because I don't want you to ever worry again if this guy is a real shepherd or if he's just a hired hand who's going to run at this first sign of danger. I believe God's design is that elders would be called out of the body here to serve. And I believe there are men in this room that God may be calling to do that. And I want to call on you as a church body to pray that they would desire to be elders, that they would pursue the qualifications and qualities of eldership, and that you would pray for Pastor Roger and I, that we would fulfill the role that God has given us. We need your prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12-13 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among you. The best way you can esteem us is to pray for us. It's the best way. It's the primary way. That's the everyday way that you can esteem us and those that God will put over us. I'm asking you as a church body today to trust Jesus enough to accomplish his plan for our church. You trust him enough for your salvation, right? So I ask you, if, if the plan of salvation is written in the, the pages of Scripture and the gospel is the power of God into salvation for all who believe and trusting that Jesus has died in your place 
for your sins, has risen again and is seated at the right hand of God and rules and reigns over all things. If you can trust him for that, surely we can trust him for our church. Amen? And as we trust him for our church, I can ask you to pray that in the next year the Lord would raise up a couple of men who would be willing to serve in some capacity to serve in our church, to lead, to oversee alongside Pastor Roger and I. That they would be these type of men. Titus 1, 6-9 says, If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. In your pews, at each aisle, there are some prayer cards. I'm going to ask you to pass those out. We're going to close our service in this way. If you are here today and you are not a believer in Christ and this church thing is brand new to you and you're going, what in the world are they talking about? Here's what we're talking about. What the Bible tells us is this, that at the beginning God created the world perfectly. And when He created man, we were created in God's image in order to worship and know God perfectly. And we ruined that. The first man and the first woman sinned And they broke that relationship between them and God. The image of God is still imprinted on us, but it's marred and it's broken and it's faded. And that's where all of the sickness, death, evil in the world comes from. Because we pursue to be our own gods. But God was not not surprised by that. And God's plan of redemption to change things and make them new was already in the works. And His plan was to call out a people for himself. He did that in the Old Testament through the people of Israel. He does that now in the New Testament through the church as well. And he calls us out as the people of God to be the people who would restore, be reconcilers in the world. And he did that by sending one reconciler, one king, Jesus, his son, who lived in the flesh a perfect life, never disobeying the Father. And he was obedient to death And in his death, the sins of mankind were placed onto Jesus. And so he took our place on the cross. And he didn't just die. He paid a debt by his death. He paid our sin debt. And he didn't just stay dead. On the third day he rose. 
And it was as if God had written a check to purchase us from our sins and to purchase us for himself. He had written a check with the blood of Jesus on the cross and with the resurrection of Jesus, it was as if he stamped it and said that check just cleared. And we now belong to him, those of us who have placed our faith in him. So we want to call on you today to place your faith in him. And so now what he's done is he's brought us together as the people of God and little churches all over the place who are supposed to be living representatives of what it is to be the people of God. Our only choice, if he did all of that to purchase us, our only choice then would be to submit ourselves to him because he's good. And has he not proven he has our best at heart by sending his own son to die in our place? So we're calling on believers today. Submit yourselves to the plan of God and pray for your leaders that we would submit ourselves under the hand of God. Because under the hand of God is safety, security, provision, protection, and also his power. And that power is the power to squash, the power to sustain, and the power to give life. Oh, that we would submit ourselves under the mighty hand of God. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've heard the good news. Call out to Jesus. You get to become a part of the redemption plan of God and have a restored relationship with Him. If you're here today as a believer, I'm going to ask you to spend the next two minutes, that's it, praying through those prayer requests. You have prayer requests for your current elders, Pastor Roger and I. And on the other side, you have prayer requests for future elders. That you would pray that God would raise up men in our church who would be called and set apart to serve. The front is open. You want to stay at your seat. That's fine. I'm going to close this time in just a couple of moments and we'll read our benediction and we'll go. And we're going to go out trusting that God's plan is best for proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that your plans are trustworthy and perfect. Lord, may we be so humble as to submit ourselves to your plans and so humble as to realize that none of our plans will ever accomplish anything eternal without your power. So may we submit all of our desires and all of our designs and all of our strategies and all of our preferences and all of our opinions, may we submit them to your plan. And Lord, I pray that as individuals, you would change our hearts. And as a church, you would do whatever necessary to change us, to make us more and more like what you've designed us to be. And what you want us to be, the people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would work in power among us. 
and that you would work in power through us as we submit to you and as we go and we proclaim just how great you are. Father, we love you. But our hope is not built on how much we love you. Our hope is built on the fact that you loved us so much you sent Jesus. Help us to proclaim that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand together.